And we're live! Hello everybody and welcome to a brand new installment, episode, part, whatever you want, want to look at it as, as a, a new Fans of Power is, 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 is ready to be delivered to you. So, I'm Tyler T-Rex Baker, and of course, as always, the Rotten Amato, Joe Amato himself. Joe, how the hell are you today? I am fantastic. Had a fun day yesterday with April Fools. I always do a little gag, a little fake uh, Nintendo Switch thing, a game from Masters of the Universe, just to have some fun. I mean, most people knew it was a gag. Some people thought it was real, but uh, I always let them off the hook. So I always have fun on April Fools. Yeah, I saw a lot of people were like, I think this is an April Fools gag here. <laughs> right, right. I, 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 uh, I almost wonder if like, people were just anticipating that from you. Uh, pretty much, because I think I, I do it every year. It usually always involves a game. I always feel like next year it needs to be like a, a new, a new uh, straight-to-DVD like video or something like that. You know, just <laughs> some, something that's not a video game. Something that right. they wouldn't... I mean, like the, um, the the He-Man movie sub that you put up. People are like, you know, you know getting all erect and pitching tents over that one. They're like, Joe, go Joe, you go to hell. You go to hell and you die over that <laughs> I was about to feel the same way when I found out it was a gag. Hey, usually most people don't get upset. I mean, people have come to expect. I mean, that's what you get on April first. I mean, I've never really seen somebody freak out over it. But yeah, last there was, year there was a, there was a lot of posts yesterday uh, from various like JoeBlow.com does like these these uh, fake movie stories, and um, one of them was saying that Stallone was going to be Galactus, and and uh, I, I forgot the, the guy who plays the, the voice of the Flash. He played Lex Luthor on Smallville. Uh, Mike, I think Michael Rosenthal, I think, was going to be uh, Silver Surfer. And oh, for okay. a split second, because I know Stallone is in uh, the uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy sequel, I thought for a split second, I was like, wait a second. No, that's fake, because Fox owns the rights to those characters right now. So, right. I was just like, okay, that, that, that was cool, though. I mean, I, I keep keeping in track of He-Man, though. I, I forgot, and this was maybe about three years ago. I woke up on April Fool's Day, forgot it was April Fool's, and woke up to JoeBlood.com reporting that Channing Tatum was cast as He-Man. Oh, I went to work so mad that day. <laughs> I remember starting my day out just angry and furious with myself. And a friend of mine texted me and goes, you know it's April Fool's, right? And I, I just deflated like it was just constant relief. Like a little <laughs> Because right. I was so filled up with rage and anger over that thug life wannabe portraying you know he-man so like thank god for it being april fool's day and you know what's sad about that is that will still make its rounds there are still people that see that post for whatever reason i even thought i seen one three months ago somebody was like joe did you hear about this i was like do you know that's an old april fool's gag no i thought this was real i was like no look at the date look at everything it's old it's like how is this still making the rounds but uh, it's it's strange how you know the fake stuff can still float. And I, I like to think yeah. by this time that the people are aware of where the reliable sources are for news like that. Instead, it's just you know clickbait. Like you know, hey, did you hear? Oh, Mona's been yeah. cast as the voice of Orko in the you know upcoming series. Like I didn't know there was one. Joe, could I get your autograph? Or like there is, <laughs> that, you know, yeah, you could do that next year. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll think it's some no, nonsense. I won't do another and, video and, game. And Doug's been cast as the voice of the Oracle, you know. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and I, I'm doing the voice of, you know, He-Man or something like that. We get, <laughs> we get just told us, like, we were approached by a, an outside party. They love our voices on the show. Like, we want you guys to do the voice of the new He-Man animated series straight to DVD. <laughs> yeah. 
If anything, uh, I'm doing the reoccurring role of the star child who's taking a key part in the new series. Oh, Lord. I'm sure, I'm sure Doug's condescending tone will beat the hell out of the filmation version we got. And you imagine that star child's like constantly, not only talk, you know, talks like a man, but is always like cutting people down to size, like looking at King <laughs> Randor, making fun of his tights, you know, saying that, you know, giving Tilly's like, funny all that sand in your vagina all the time there. You know you want Adam so bad. It's like that's why you're so pissed off all the time. I mean, that that, that would be so much better than the version that we got. So, you know, I'm all for Doug portraying the star child. Doug is the new star child. There you go. First straight here. Yeah, I, I, I saved this for the show before we get going here. I made a pact with Joe earlier this week, and Joe broke his um, ah, his tradition of not watching movie trailers. So I made a deal with him that I would start watching Stranger Things if he watched the It trailer. Okay. So Joe watched it live, and I listened to his feedback of the It trailer, and he was he seemed quite as, as thrilled as I was for that. So that's good. And I also told my brother I would start watching this show, too. I just never got around to it. But because I made this promise with Joe, I'm like, you know, everyone said the show takes place in the 80s. And when the show starts, it's 83. Hmm. That's the year that E-Man debuted on TV. And I, I'm just like, Joe's enthusiasm for this like, makes you feel like there's got to be something E-Man related in this show. Like in the first episode. In the third episode, when Elle starts watching TV, I'm like, I I just know she's going to flip on and see He-Man. I'm like, I don't know what it could be. And sure enough, from President Reagan comes on the He-Man transformations. And I guess I'm like, that's it. That's why Joe wanted me to watch it so bad. Aside the fact that it's a great show. And Isn't like, it? My brother and you have pushed for me to watch it. Um, yeah. It's got to be something He-Man related in that show. Right. So it is. It, it's it's a fantastic series. I yeah, mean, I, 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 start, I watched another episode while I ate breakfast this morning. So I'll probably finish it up today. The whole See, the whole is it that? The binge watching, it's 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 addicting. But uh, yeah, I think season two starts in October, something yeah. on Halloween. So yeah, so but, I'm uh, looking forward to that. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm engrossed by you know. I love how the, these kids are portrayed. You know, they they act like kids at that age. You know, and um, it, it's everything. I was so glad that they paid so much attention to the detail of the clothing, the music. Yeah. Going in Will's room, he's got a poster of Jaws and the Dark Crystal. You know, they they got a poster of the thing down in um. Uh, Mike's basement, and they're playing Dungeons and Dragons. They reference Halloween, and you know you got reference to He-Man cartoon. Like this, this is fantastic, and you know all the '80s hairdos and clothes and stuff like that. I was like, it's great. I love it. Yep, yeah, definitely it takes you back to the '80s, gave you that '80s feel and stuff, and the cartoon. And well, speaking of that, we're gonna be doing something here in a second with the '80s cartoon. But well, I was gonna say before we do that, I just wanted to uh, thanks uh, one of my buddies on Facebook. His name is Ruben Alcatraz. I hope I said your last name right, but uh, either way, he was at the WonderCon, and he was, like, sharing a lot of pictures of things that he was seeing at the Super 7 booth, and then other people that were around there, vendors of just master stuff. He was just looking out for me, seeing if I wanted something here or there, and beyond that, was just sharing stuff, and it was just cool just seeing some of the good old vintage Masters of the Universe things, and he was posting it on Facebook and, you know, tagging me in a lot, and I just wanted to thank him, because, you know, he was, I obviously don't have the money to be buying that stuff, but it was still cool just to see him looking out for me and seeing the Masters love at the, the WonderCon, so I just wanted to thank you for that, Ruben. Awesome. Yeah. So, Tyler, what, what is the big plan for this episode that we're starting off with? What are we going to do? Oh, here, not, not, give me one second here, because so I, 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 I got to wait and introduce this here. Hang on. Okay. All right. Tyler's away for a second. He's going to grab something. We're going to see what he's going to do while we're observing his Predator background. It looks like he has. A, a, yeah, Predator. And I think at the, 
kindergarten cop. He's he's got his Arnold Schwarzenegger love that he's showing in in back where he sits. Every week it seems like he has a different backdrop. I wonder how big his house is. But uh, okay. here we go. All right, to start this off here, I thought I would pick one of my, well, one of many favorite possessions. Is this VHS tape here. Okay. Which I'm going to hold up a little closer there, which features Dawn of Dragoon, as well as Song of Solis here. So, you know, to introduce, we are doing a commentary for Dawn of Dragoon, and I pick up this videotape because this is how I watched that episode, was on this tape, and it's got the big serpent on there that's colored brown, and in this episode, it's red. And I remember thinking, like, hey, the serpent's not red. It's, it's, it's supposed to be brown, and, you know. And have you owned that since you were a kid, or what? Oh, no, this I bought at a mom-and-pop video store that was selling all their VHS tapes for, like, five bucks. It was still still going in, like, the mid-2000s. Like, they were selling DVDs and, and VHS tapes. And I always I, loved that art on the front. Huh? I always loved the art on the covers of those. They always had a different. Oh, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, uh, just just to kind of give it another a few moments here for for viewers. The the art on these VHS tapes was is another thing of, of beauty. I mean, it's it pretty much taking certain parts of animation, putting them on on the box art for all the tapes. But fleshing it out in nice different tones and details, and you know, a painted feel. It looks. It always has a different tone to me. How they look. Yeah, I mean, you see, like, Solis is, like, on the ground, kind of like a damsel in distress, and Teela's being the, the tough female warrior. He-Man's ready for action, and you've got a giant monster up above him, like a classic fantasy, you know, 80s poster. Yeah, I like it. You know, all these VHS tapes have got such iconic covers, and, you know, uh, I would love to just chew the fat one one episode and just talk about all the, these great box art, because it's, it, as, I, as I've watched the episode so many times, I noticed, like, small bits of animation I'm like, that's on that one. That's on volume three of the box art, just because it's so <laughs> such distinct movements of He-Man doing something or, or whatever. So, well, well some, but that's just like my the... way of introducing. We are going to do our first commentary. Uh, there will be no audio from the episode. We don't want to piss off anybody from classic media or anybody else who might have a say in in that. So you'll just be hearing me and Joe discuss the episode from beginning to end. Um, yeah. You know, our thoughts on the episode. It's something I've wanted to do for a long time. I've talked to Joe about doing it and uh, love to do more of these because these episodes need, I mean, we'd love to do commentaries for this series and She-Ra, oh, sure. New Adventures, MYP, you know. And what's fun is, like you said, what fans can do is, as they listen to this now, whether it's live or if they just will watch us in a bit, what they could do is they can listen to us, but if they have the DVDs, they can pop it in watch it as they're watching, listen to our commentary right in sync with the episode. And even if they don't have this on DVD, I mean, heck, you can dual screen on your computer and pop up the thing on YouTube for one and here, because you can find Dawn of Dragoon on YouTube. So Yeah, James Etox got it loaded on his uh, his uh, YouTube channel. Dawn of Dragoon is one of the episodes he's loaded from beginning to end. So yeah, there. that's on there. It's been released on DVD several times. I'm sure if you just did a Google search to watch Dawn of Dragoon, you can find you know, it's 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 on the internet to watch. So if you want to sure. use that or pop in one of the DVDs, you got different options. But when we when we count down three, two, one, play, it starts right as the Formation logo comes on screen. So exactly. So when you're ready to hit it, we'll do it and we'll give our thoughts right along with the episode. All right, I'm gonna count down from three. So when I say play, everybody who's listening to us just hit play at the same time. Okay. Three, two, one, play. And there's the filmation logo, of course. Uh, but while this is going on, we'll just – Joe, you want to kind of share your 
first thoughts of this episode as the opening credits are, are going on? Oh, I just remembered first seeing this as a kid. I mean, you know, when you're, when you're seeing Driel, when you see another Trollin for, the, you know, the first time as a kid. That, that was really cool. That was, that yeah, was it really was. Cool. And, and a female, being a female one. I mean, that was just, to me, it was like, oh, my God. And it's like how Tila described a female Orko, because that's what you're looking at is a, kind of a female Orko. Because Orko's magic's going all bad. Here she comes. But when he finally goes back to Trala, like, oh, my God, he is going to go to Trala. And when he encounters Dragoon and you see all the other Trollins and you see what Orko, as you're going to find out in this episode, his power. And is he really going to be Orko the Great, as, you know, he said, because, you know, Man-at-Arms kind of scoffs at that and almost giggles like, <laughs> you know, like, you're really oh, that great. being the, the, the prick that he is. <laughs> exactly. So it's great to see Oracle have his time to finally shine and show how great and powerful he is. That's what I love the most was Oracle finally being able to do that. So, well, it's about ready to get going right here with. Yeah. And, uh, Robbie London, who wrote this episode, wrote Driel's return, uh, double edged sword. He wrote diamond Ray disappearance. So he's, he wrote some of the classics of the series, and, and you know, I think he really enjoyed Orko, and, and this is the first time we really get a, a – I mean, we get Uncle Montork in previous episodes. Right. And, or other episodes, but this really delves into Orko's background, and it, it's it's a welcome yep. addition to the mythology. Yep, and there goes a squirt in the face. The pyramid I thought was quite cool. Yeah, his pyramid that he kid. couldn't get, I guess, right. Remember, it was having problems. And poor man-at-arms has to be the butt of the jokes. Like, always oh, get squirted in the face with mud. And well, I'm sure him thinking he's, you know, him, him being the master technician and, and scientific expert, he thinks he could probably fix something that's based out of magic. But yeah, or maybe, you know what, Orko's just doing this deliberately. You're like, hey, it's broken. Can you fix it? Knowing full well it's going to shoot in his face. Exactly. And of course, you know, like I said, being the person that sticks his finger yeah. in light socket, gets water, but works for Orko. And Arms gets a little mad because, of course, now it works for Orko, the side that gives you fruit and vent, I mean, the fruit. So, yes. where do these rocks, can you explain where these meteor rocks come from, anyways? They're, they're no? kind of like, so it's a sound like they're, you know, it's like Man Arms has like a gigameter or something like that. It picks up like, I don't know if to pick up radiation, but that's what it sounds like. It's picking up radiation off these rocks. Right. Which obviously, you know, as, as we come to find out, Driel sees, I believe it's a, you know, a box in Trolla that obviously she goes and hides in and it acts as a transport from the box to this pyramid. As you see, the pyramid disappears it's exactly. like it appears in Trala, she goes and hides in it, and it pops right back up on Eternia. Right. And then it was supposed to be those right there she pops up, too. Oh, for female I, I, I thought she was quite a cute character. Like, normally, a, a character like this could be written kind of obnoxious, but I, I, I believe it's Linda Gary doing the voice of Driel. She has a very soft, sweet voice. She doesn't <laughs> come off as obnoxious, and, you know, and obviously, you know, I can, who can blame Orca for being smitten with her? She's quite a cute little trollin. Oh, yeah. You know, she got blonde hair, you know. A, a, blonde, a blonde hair, you know, trollin. You know, it's, I'm sure she's probably like the, you know, well, she's the equivalent of Shira, as we all know she's jealous of Shira because she's got blonde hair, too. <laughs> right. So she's probably like the hottest female yeah. on Trolla. Did they show many other females on Trolla anyways? I'm not quite sure. I don't think so. I think I think Grandest Magic is the one that shows, you know, uh, Another female trawling, but I think after this, like in uh, Trouble and Trawler, uh, Driel's return, it's it's pretty much 
Driel's, you know, I'm sure that there are others, but, you know, unless it calls merit for the story, I don't think there's any other reason to, to introduce us to other female trial ones. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I'm sure as a, as a mother and a father. but Sure, and as you see here, they're off to trial, and of course, you know, Adam, man, arms ain't gonna be able to fit in that thing, but as you found out, Dragoon, well, there's some pride in this, that she's, you know, she's in trouble. Obviously, he knows his magic is stronger than Trolla. This takes you directly to yeah. Trolla. I can go here and kick this guy's ass. And I like his confidence. I like that the confidence that, yes, now he's going to go to Trolla, he, like you said, and show his power. He doesn't need any help. He doesn't, you know, he feels like, obviously, men at arms. But, yeah, you find out about Dragoon, this creature that's causing trouble in Trolla. So it's cool to finally see Trolla, too. How strange, how different it looks. I love, I love Orko's comment and say, let him here. You're here with Orko the Great. Like, he just wagged mm-hmm. his finger in the air, you know? Like, he's... It's just such a great introduction to Dragoon. And and me being such a fan of the show, this, this scenery that, that Orko and Trielo is the same pan, panning shot of uh, Return of Orko's Uncle when Azrog is in, entombed in the cage, magic cage. Mm-hmm. And Dragoon so, just, was just, a pretty awesome looking guy. This just big half man, half dragon creature. I, I liked I liked seeing him when he first showed up. He was kind of frightening, especially as a kid. He was he was kind of a freaky looking character. And I, as far as I know, and I, I, I give Etok credit for this one, that Dragoon was intended to be one of Skeletor's evil warriors in the series. I think he was supposed to appear in Diamond Ray of Disappearance. Oh, was um, he? As in James has got confirmed information about this. I think, I think it's in his book, in one of the books, because I remember him mentioning that. Um, but obviously, it was scrapped and, and put in this episode here. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm about ninety nine percent sure that that that's something that he reported. And as we all know, James is the most reliable source when it comes to that. But oh yeah, one other thing was this maybe the first um, episode. I'm not quite sure when. He-Man said, by the power of Grace, go let the jaw bridge open, or was that previous when he did it in another one? I couldn't remember when he first did that. Diamond Ray Disappearance, he you know, says, I, I, I command the jaw bridge open. Oh, it, he did that that early. Okay, okay. Yeah, and Robbie London wrote that episode, too, so oh. I think he established, you know. That's like his thing, you know. huh? Yeah, so he, he added to the mythology just like Paul Dini would and, and Larry Dettelio would. And Michael Reeves did as well, so. Mm-hmm. There's like this, this stress ball here that He-Man squeezes to, to turn small. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I forgot what she called that ball. It had a specific name. But, uh, the sphere of size is oh, what it's called. Oh, the sphere of yeah. size. Yeah, you squeeze it, you turn small, you release it, you get big. And that was his only yeah. well, this is this, It's just a great way of, of setting up how different this world is. And you know what? The the basic format of, of how, you know, Adam can save the day just doesn't work here. I and mean, you realize that everything is just completely nuts and backwards here. I mean, the trees are, the roots are, are the, the top of the tree here. And right. Fish fly like birds and even the rainbows upside down here in a second. There we are. I mean, it's just really cool. It's, it's off the wall, but it works. Yeah. And here's the, the supposed to be brown fish. And he's red. There's the red, front. which we see this. This now there's the here's the iconic transformation as we talked about with that voice that's different, where it's clearly Adam saying, "By the power of great," and you knew it wasn't going to work. 
He doesn't sell that wine. Well, you know what I mean. We give Adam his whiny voice. People piss me off when they want to make Adam out as whiny. I just want to smack the hell out of him when they say that. Well, well, he was whiny. And, of course, you see his... Oh, shut up. <laughs> you see his fire ray turn to water. And I figured, well, if things were backwards, it should have been water from the beginning. But I'm not nitpicking. So, all right. That, that's you pulling a quest for He-Man here, looking, looking for logic when you don't need to be. All right, and you apparently find out how dumb the creatures are here on Otrala because he has this uh, serpent snake tying himself up between two trees. I mean, well, I wouldn't necessarily say it's because he's an idiot. I'd say it's because he's, you know, a long snake and just getting him entangled up there. But <laughs> if Joe wants to say the logic here is clearly all the animals are dumb. Well, hey, I mean, I would just assume, I mean, is that all it takes to beat any mighty creatures just to take them in the circle between trees? But eh, whatever. But you can see that obviously <laughs> from, from the beginning how Adam's talking, they're really establishing and letting you know things are backwards here. They like saying that pretty much quite a bit. So it's shoved down your throat, which it's still a great episode. But I mean, either way, you are knowing what eventually. Well, because they want to establish that because that's what's going to be the big pivotal moment is to realize that, hey, things don't work here the way they do in attorney. You have to do it backwards to a certain extent or that not necessarily everything is completely backwards, but it's there's a lot of opposites. Well, true. And, you know, that's the other thing, at least what I got out of this is, you know, people always want to say, you know, Orko's magic doesn't work on, you know, Eternity at all, which then it could be brought, I guess, a little bit from this episode if you want to use logic, because obviously here on Trala, his magic is super intense and powerful, but on Eternia, doesn't work the same. It's all messed up. So it's like his stuff is backwards going on Eternia, in a way. Kind of logically. It is. Yeah, I mean, it works when the story calls for it, but, you know, this is a, this is a great way of establishing that, you know, that the wizards on Trawler are very powerful. And I love seeing how powerful, yeah, and especially Orko, I mean, right there, how he's blasting those rocks to, like, smash Dragoon. Of course, he had no regards for Driel. She could have got killed there, too, but whatever. But, I mean, still, you see how powerful he There's was. There's Jared. Joe goes again. Like, clearly, Orko's not thinking here. <laughs> no, I mean, not that I'm nitpicking parts of the episode, but it's just, I was thinking, well, Jesus, you, you could have killed Dragoon and Driel. You lucky Dragoon flew out of the way, but... So, go ahead. Oh, and they're showing you that there's his time is yeah. Dragoon, Dragoon's got a cool fortress here, and to see all these imprisoned trollins and and to touch on Dragoon here, you know, Oppenheimer does a fantastic job of this very distinct voice for Dragoon. You know what gets me about this real quick about Dragoon is how he says, obviously, you know, he's to serve his master Skeletor. It's like okay, which that 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 made it so much better because normally. I always prefer Skeletor to be my villain in my episodes, but when he says that he works for Skeletor, I thought, oh, that makes it even better because I like the character, but to say he works for Skeletor, I was like, oh, I buy that. And I Put loved it too. Oh, I'm I sorry. mean, I loved it too, but then the more I watched it, I remember as a kid, I was like, well, how did he get here? I mean, if they have such a hard time getting to Trollo, Skeletor has no, obviously, issues of sending his warriors to Trollo that already set up a base. I mean, Jesus, Dragoon's already got a fortress set up on Trollo, even though he's sent from Skeletor. I mean, I don't know. It's just Kind of confusing. I mean, I, I'm sure that there are, I mean, like in Driel's Return, Trap John Cloth will get there, but they're not working for Skeletor. They're on their own. So I'm sure if you dig far enough, you, they probably could, you know, you know, muscle a spell to get them there. 
Well, it's not mean for, for the bad guys. They can get to travel easy, but for the heroes, it's like, oh, God, we can only make this little teeny window. That's you're digging too much month. into it here. You're tearing it up for the people at home listening to this here. No, but it's still good, but it's confusing. But as you see, Dragoon's sucking all the energy from all the Trollins that he's going to give that magic or that power, that energy to Skeletor. So, I mean, you can see that thing is getting full up pretty good. But what I liked is when he finally sticks it on Driel, it's like, Jesus, Driel pretty much about, as you'll see in a bit, taps that uh, energy off. It's like, wow. Yeah, it's, it's, she's, she's quite powerful herself, which, you know, we, we don't see a, a whole lot in this episode, if at all. We, we'll see a little bit of right. that Driel's return. But it's, yeah. it shows that pretty much this race of Trollins, I mean, there's other creatures on this planet, but they're a race that, you know, that typically are raised to learn magic and, and, and practice sorcery and, and are quite powerful at it. So it's, it's, it's cool to establish this race as something that, you know what, not something to be trifled with, but it shows that Dragoon is quite the powerful character himself. We get this cool crocodile lion here. I like this. Yeah. They're guard dog. They're yeah. crocodile it's lion. Very, very cool looking. Yeah, exactly. Which is, it's, it doesn't have scales. It has a crocodile face and a tail, but it has more of, like you said, a lion kind of body. So, and I like this that. is one of my most favorite transformation sequences. Like me too. I mean, it's because of the impact, you know, of what it is, and you know, when he figures it out, Orko's clapping. It's just exciting. You're it like, is. Yeah, damn it, he's he's gonna do it. Here we go, people. Yep. Oh man, here he goes. Never has saying something backwards sound more epic than this right here, and then boom. Yeah, and I love that Cringer's the one that helped him. I, I won't nitpick one other thing, but always, instead of I have the power, why didn't he say power thee have I? But whatever, I won't nitpick that part. Oh, yeah, I won't nitpick it, but I'm going to do it anyway here. <laughs> but it was cool. I did love that when he figured out, because Cringer kind of like, hey, you know, everything's backwards here. And then finally it clicks, hey, if I say this backwards, and it works. So it was cool because you thought, oh, Jesus, he's never going to turn into He-Man. At least your first impression. As a kid, you, you don't know that you're always going to be let off the hook. And I remember the first time I seen it, I thought, oh, man, what's going to happen? He can't turn into He-Man. That was kind of freaky as a kid, especially watching that episode. And here we are getting ready to, to, to see the big fight we've been waiting for, for He-Man and Dragoon to, to battle one-on-one, -on -one, which is absolutely I mean, really epic when you got the he to the rescue music playing during, not this part here, but you always when like they're it. battling in, in, in the um, uh, the cliffs and the mountain, uh, the cliffs here that's coming up. It's just epic. You know, somehow the fight is led for he and Battlecat to take the low ground and Dragoon's throwing boulders at them. And, and to know that he recognizes who he is just simply based on who could break a boulder with one punch. Yep. You know, that's what you always love is his strength. Just to see, that. I always got to kick out, like, you know, big boulders coming at him and just that classic punch to the screen. It's always epic to see just the power. It's awesome. And that Dragoon knows who he is based on that. And, and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to get him now. And it's like, you know, he's strong, but oh, boy, Skeletor is so happy if I can capture this guy. And just the, the confidence of Dragoon and, and this 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 fun build up, and I, uh, you know, obviously we see Battle Cat here getting in danger here before Dragoon really throws himself off the cliff here unintentionally, and, and was uh, originally supposed to fall down into the bottomless pit, and essentially I guess keep falling or die at some point, but well, that was scrapped. I'm glad that was scrapped. Uh, you know, yeah, I was too. The ending of, of He Man saving him, and this is a cool panning shot. Just how massive Dragoon looks. 
Yeah, and you knew something was up with all those all vines and tangles. Tang yeah. This it was going. But it leads to a great moment. Like I said, in like in yeah. all the episodes, that's what's fantastic about, you know, Masters of the Universe and, and the character of He-Man. Because you thought, my God, Dragoon was going to die, but you seen him hanging there. And then, of course, like always, E-Man's coming to the rescue to, to save him. And j just getting Dragoon's reaction. I always love his reaction. And, and of course, something He-Man will say. But oh, thank goodness. Well, that's what makes all this so good. It doesn't come off so cliche. It comes off like with a good emotional impact and character development that, you know, normally you save Merman or, or one of the other evil warriors. They, they turn tail and run because, well, they clearly can't win. Yep. But Dragoon is, is definitely stifled by this reaction that he's been dangling there. I mean, yes, I'm, I'm sure if Dragoon... There's a great pulling know, animation, too. Pulling him, saving him. Oh, absolutely. And this flopping over there and it's going to tear the vines up into this moment of oh, just... Best hero villain moments, I think, of the entire series is this, you know, understanding of, like, I wouldn't save you, but why did you save me? And he-Man's logic behind it is just, gosh, he's so confident when he says, you know, I'm, I may be your enemy, but you're not mine. I mean, that's a great line. I love that line. I mean, really, I love that line. I mean, who couldn't relate? I almost felt like that was relating to sometimes people, even kids, like when you'd have, like, fights with somebody you didn't get along with. And just kind of a way of saying, you know, you might not get along with somebody and hopefully, you know, somebody could feel that moment, somebody you didn't get along with. I always felt like they were sometimes they were. I mean, this was geared, obviously, towards kids, but it felt like a moment of trying to get along and make them. Well, it with doesn't them. happen much. I mean, He-Man does say he saves Skeletor and other evil warriors and other villains, but, you know. Not not all of them to say, you know what, you know, that that was scary to think that, you know, even though Dragoon has wings, you know, wings are like muscles. If your muscles aren't working properly, he probably could have fell, yeah. you know, unconsciously or who knows what. But simple fact that he realized that he was facing death and this guy that he tried tried to kill saves him is, you know, it's very possible that, you know, like, man, it's it's scary when you're facing death like that. And uh, and I love how he says, if, you know, you return to your evil ways, I'll be back, you know, just yeah. saying, you know, I'll go. But if you do it again, I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah, that's basically his way of saying it. And Oracle has to use... I, the rainbow shirts, he's all right. Yeah, and I like he uses his magic to, you know, wake them all up. I, I always wondered when she strapped like that, why wouldn't he just pull that lever and free her? I got a little confused there. But I know he still had a reviver, but I'm like, oh, you could have popped her out, maybe could have smashed that magic vial off to the side, maybe would have had the essence go through the room. I don't know. Maybe or just drink the orange juice that was in that vial. Looks like orange juice going in. <laughs> and get her a sip of her juice. Give her a pack. Everyone takes a big sip of their body juice. <laughs> That's all you gotta do. There's nothing special. There's no magic spells to wake him up. Oh, and of course we get we found out about the whole what He-Man was saying. He's gonna show Driel his face. That's something Trollins do when they want to show their love to one another. It's like getting engaged. So, you know, we we're gonna finally see. At least we thought. Oh my God, we are gonna see Oracle what he looks like. I remember this, as a kid. That's what I thought was gonna happen. And when he shows their face, I mean, shows his face. We don't get to see it. We just get to see the shadow. And then you see, like, the the shape of his head, which you'll see here in a sec. Which clearly matches up with what we would eventually find out. Yeah, but and, uh, and then he has, he has a swing moment when he's seen Triel's face, apparently. Yeah. She's beautiful. But, uh, you know, because we've seen in a couple episodes, like, little 
quick animation, I don't know if you want to say errors, where Oracle like flew down out of a tree or something, and you quickly seen like the black face with the eyes and the ears. And yeah, like, oh, but right. shows him his hat coming off momentarily, and it's like the figure. It's like you take the hat off the figure, it's yeah. just a solid black. Yeah, and remember, oh. we've seen Prankster before, so we know that uh, we, we've seen Trollins on mass. We've seen Prankster, and he's got the blue face. It's around chubby face and ears. So after I seen Prankster, I remember, oh, you know what? I kind of got a feel of, like, if they ever showed Orko, what he would kind of look like, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but I, who would have thought I, that we... I, it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't... I mean, as a kid, I used to wonder, but I like the look of Orko. And he's, at times, I used to wonder, is the purple scarf like, is that his mouth? I used to wonder about that, because the lining in his mouth, see, look, he looks angry, and it's like the lines go up. Like, to kind I of... I see what you mean. You know, it, they show, convey emotion through his scarf around his face. So I used to wonder... You have to, yeah. Does that That's why they have to do so much he, with he is odd character. You yeah, know, same with his eyes. eyes. I mean, by his eyes and his scarf, that's the only way you can, like you said, convey the emotion, because obviously, you can't, it's, you know, it's like hidden behind a mask like this. You know, sometimes you got to make your emotions in different ways. So, well, that yeah, was... Like, like Spider-Man. You get, when Spider-Man's angry or showing emotion, the eyes on the mask will, you know, enlarge. And, yeah. And, uh, and, of course, this is one of the, you know, there, there was a lot of good little um, morals that, that weren't, you know, brush your teeth and be, be sure to, you know, Give your teacher an, uh, an apple at school or something like that. These were just fun little, you know, good morals, and this was one of them. I mean, there, there were some memorable morals, I always thought. As I got older, I, I appreciated certain ones because some I of them I never really them found them yeah, I never found them like they were no, cheesy. No, I, I felt like people who want to knock them need a, good, need a really good kick in the nuts a couple of times. Yeah, so like I said, I never felt like they were forced, like a lot of people said. But that was that was a great episode, and – you know, like I said, we never got to in the cartoon see Orko unmasked. We've never seen that. We probably never thought we would see that. But of course, you know, our good old buddy James Etock, he found him unmasked. And in that filmation book from Dark Horse, everybody finally got to see Orko unmasked. And for those who didn't, I guess you're going to finally see it right now. Orko looks like unmasked. So there you go. It's a little, um, it's cool. It's basically what you can envision. It matches up a little kind of alien chubby cherub like, you know, it's, uh, it's cool. I guess, you know, I can, I can dig it. I know it's strange. You've first seen it. It's like, you know, isn't that weird? You wonder your whole life what somebody could look like behind a certain mask and you see, and that's either did it meet or not meet the expectations. And I remember a lot of people thought, oh, that looked kind of strange, but what were you expecting? I mean, were you expecting this handsome looking blue buff guy? It's like, uh, of course. I, I just it, it wasn't exactly what I envisioned. It sounded, it seemed very simplistic when I first saw it. Um, Cause I, I, I recall, I thought I had seen it several years away before the book was released that had the image in it. I can't remember where I saw it, but I, I, I think somehow the image was, was shown briefly at a time. I think, cause when I saw it in the book, I'm like, I think I've seen this before, but it seemed very simplistic. Of course it's, it's, matches with the style they were going for but honestly i would rather have orca masked up because that's the definitive look and i'm glad they they chose to when they show his face it's in kept in shadows and mystery and as a kid it drove me nuts but as an adult i can appreciate that that direction yeah to go in if, that, that it kept if it i can just for the kids jump in here for a second when i saw this artwork for the first time what it reminded me of is if you remember reese's pieces were used in the movie et i know yeah. a lot but when they went to do the commercials and advertising, they didn't have the rights to then turn around and use E.T. So they made a, a fake blue alien character that they could use in all their advertising. And when I saw that Orca, oh, that's yeah. the first thing I thought of was this little guy. 
I agree. I like that. that that's good. <laughs> that, that's a great comparison, Doug. I like that. I like that. That's funny. We got to make an action figure of that guy. But no, I do. I like that. I like that look. I guess, yeah, when I first seen that Oracle unmasked, I mean, I accepted it. I immediately just thought, hey, looks great. I enjoyed it. But I guess, like I said, Prankster was in my head. And it's, it's, it's terrible to say everybody should look like Prankster. No, you shouldn't do that because, of course, all Trollins will look different. But Prankster does have slightly, a, you know, different features, the way he's got a more different type of his nose designed lips. He doesn't have like that kind of split around like how Orko does. But I like that all Trollins can look different. Sure, they're, it looks like they're mostly all blue skinned, but uh, I like this. I accept yeah, that. Yeah, I'm glad I decided to say they're related to the Gars. <laughs> you know, God, don't go into that. But no. I look at that and I accept it immediately. I was like, I didn't have a problem. I was like, cool. It's weird. Like you said, oh, my God, Oracle Unmasked. But I liked it. I had no problem with it. And uh, No, it's fine. If, if, I mean, I, if, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fairly fine design. But I, between, if I had to pick, you know, I pick with, you know, the, the, the covered up Orco. But that's, that's fine. And I think it's, it's a good design, though. It is, definitely so. Well, that was a good episode. That was our first commentary. It'll be the first of many. Hopefully, people are enjoying. You can always let us know what you thought of it. But, uh, yeah, we enjoyed it. Like I said, go along with the show. You're on the go. or I mean, like I said, you have this downloaded. Pop on the DVD. Pop it up on YouTube. However you want to do it. And, uh, yeah, and it was really fun. Kids and let us teach your children the, the, the behind-the-scenes secrets and, 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 and trivias and, and Joe's nitpicks. I couldn't you know. help. There's always got to be some nitpicks. Like I said, certain things. Uh, it's I, if, if, if we do a commentary for Disappearing Dragon, you start pointing out logic problems and stuff like that. I'm, I'm, I know somehow I'm going to reach through and just grab you by the, the throat and just start shaking you to death. <laughs> or smack your mask off and then reveal what Joe looks like underneath his mask. Terry's like, oh, damn, not bad. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, but we'll, we'll have to do like a, a new, like, fans. We'll do a Fans of Power encyclopedia. Like, if you want to know what Joe Motto really Why looks like, you got to buy the book. And so they're floating her in a pose like this Joe unmasked. <laughs> yeah, it's got a coffee purse on his shoulder. <laughs> there you go. So, well, that was fun. So, uh, all right, T Rex. Well, Let's move into our last topic that we'll do. We're going to talk about a hardcover golden book. And which book is that? It's my personal favorite and the first book that I, I got of this series of books, which was Tila's Secret. And um, uh, as, as a kid, I, 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 it, was, it was such a um, – I, I got emotionally involved in, in these stories a lot as a kid because I, I felt – you know, I thought Skeletor was quite menacing in this. I thought the Horde was very menacing in it. I thought hearing the word jealous was this was the first time I've ever had, had ever heard of the word jealous. Oh, from Evil Inn? Over Evil Inn. Yeah. I, I used to like, what does that mean? Jelly? Like jelly? Jam? You know, I, I used to wonder what, what does jealous mean? And of course, it didn't take long for me to figure out that she's jealous of Tila. It's that 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 kind of you know, replacement. Skeletor shows interest in Tila. Mm-hmm. Evelyn takes 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 it personal, and and this story is reminiscent of Tila's quest. Is that Tila, you know, wanders about her mother mm-hmm. and gets depressed, and and decides to take off on her own with Stridor and hopes to find answers. And Skeletor is observing this and decides he's going to concoct a scheme to talk Tila into believing, you know, uh, that uh, I think initially he. It's he conjures up like this oracle, kind of similar to, to Tila's quest, and she, I believe, 
I can't remember exactly. I don't have the book in front of me here. I remember pretty much the entire story except. Well, there was she, like an she, image of a woman in the water. It's a blonde woman in this pool of water. Yeah. And she's there to kind of give the backstory about Tila's mother and obviously does not reveal who it is because Skeletor doesn't know who it is, but just feeds her a lie, essentially. And Skeletor is hiding and you know hypnotizes her and gives her this, this jewel to wear around her neck to ensure that this animosity towards Man-at-Arms and Adam and He-Man you know, stays that she's just a very bitter woman in that what Skeletor has told her is what she believes to be the truth. Yeah, and what that crazy... Well, real quick, I was going to say, what was crazy, that crazy lie that he made Tila see and believe was that apparently Man-at-Arms was supposed to have imprisoned Tila's mother and then kidnapped Tila. Yes, that's it, that's it, yeah. Yeah, well, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, but, but during this time here, you know, Evelyn decides, you know what, I don't like Skeletor essentially putting his attention on another woman. I'm going to go seek some help. And <laughs> as we've seen in so many incarnations of He-Man, she decides she's going to go pick sides with Hordak. Always Hordak. Boy, she goes, she's always going for other help. Like I said, Evelyn's a schemer. She is a schemer. Yeah, she's not, she's not a woman to be, you know, trifle with. You better, you better cater her, cater to her needs because she'll sell you out. She cut your throat. She'll do whatever it takes. If she finds that she's, not the the top female of Snake Mountain. So, but what's cool about this is that, and I, I love this, and I, I want to say I thought I think Joe uh, we told me otherwise, this, but we mentioned this before. Yeah, we mentioned this before. But the way to get to a theory in this is by going into the vine jungle and letting this man eating plant swallow you whole, and then yeah. it will drop you in the fright zone. Yeah, that's a crazy. I always portal. thought that was so cool because it looked quite terrifying because Evelyn looks scared even though she knows what she has to do right and, and um she falls right into the fright zone and a very distinct and badass looking re- version of Grizzler is there to grab a hold of her mm-hmm. and present her to Hordak and it's this is a slightly different version of Hordak too but it looks great it's he's a very um imposing uh, uh it's a very imposing portrayal of Hordak and, like he just he comes off as you know, very uh, sinister. And Grizzler just oh. looks like, just, I mean, someone who would just, could bite your neck and just tear your throat out. Yeah, who, I mean, like I said, the artist just, did that. You're right, the artist for this book seemed like he made all the Hordesmen, or basically all the villains, look pretty sinister, evil, imposing. Like I said, you got that from all of them. Hordak, yet, yeah, Hordak didn't seem silly looking. He's wicked. I mean, Evil, evil Lynn, you know, I mean, the ways some of her, you know, her expressions she would make, but just the tones of the whole book. And everything that was done. I forgot who the artist was that worked on that, I'll be honest. But uh, his style is different. It's something that usually, you, you know, you didn't see in the other yeah, books. Yeah, he, he worked on, a, I think he did, I think he did some of the books. Not not all of them, but I think he did yeah. uh, River of Ruin, which is another book I like to cover with you sometime. And I think he did um, I Have the Power, I think. Because um, I think um, the uh, He-Man Smells Trouble, which the art was not the best in that one. The horror artwork was ugly. But, um this one was this one was was pretty solid and and of course you know she talks Hordak into helping her, but she's not really trying to help her. He's looking at a way to get back at Skeletor. So because yeah, he's basically going to dispose of Evelyn if he accomplishes what he's yeah, going to yeah. do. Yeah, once we get what they want, they're going to get rid of her. Yeah. Of course, you you just know Hordak's going to turn on her. Of course, right, and, right. And Tila's you know back at the palace practicing her her uh, her uh, fencing with Man at Arms and is making some quite lethal actions towards him 
and she takes offense to it when she's asked about the jewel that she's that she's wearing around her neck, and you know, eventually, uh, sides up with Skeletor. So Skeletor has got his new female in Tila, and Hordak comes to Eternia in the Light Cruiser, which is only shown in one shot. I think it's referenced in the Horde book. I think, but it's this, it's cool gold looking ship, and it. it yeah. lights up it just looks really cool because it almost he, looked like a falcon from underneath it looked like a big yeah. falcon or something it looks it looks quite cool because when when he-man and men arms go to the same mountain to get tila um they recognize like hey that's hordax light cruiser which you know like oh great hordax here and i think on their way um i, I left this part out too spike or shows up yeah that was been the try and stop he-man and man arms from getting the snake mountain well that was the side story was uh Skeletor knew he had to do something to occupy He-Man because obviously he's tricking, you know, Tila to come to Snake Mountain. He's like, okay, what could he do? And I think at the Crystal Castle, and really, it's a Crystal Castle, not the one we know from She-Ra, but Crystal Castle here. I think there's an Ice yep. Princess or, or there's some kind of princess or Ice Princess Queen, whatever. And they're like, okay, we're going to send Spike or you go there to like, I don't know, capture her because she never wants to join up with Skeletor or something. And then hopefully that would be a side quest where He-Man goes after, you know, Spike or then and to save this, uh, this Ice princess you never see her in the entire book you know how it is that's what i loved about these because since they were a book where it was just you know the story books with one image on each page you have to use your imagination of what else is going on they can't show every single thing but spike or yes he's using you know his mace to bash into the crystal parts of that castle and smash it and then he-man goes to get you know some snow and spike was like you think you beat me with a snow or a snowball but he-man basically takes and he's supposed to throw the snow snowball and it makes a giant one and rolls and gets spike or and then takes him into a big snowball and then he was supposed to have loaded it up on the wind raider and as he's flying to snake mountain on the wind raider he throws the big snowball onto the snake you know that snake on snake mountain toy set well it's a live snake in the book and he was supposed to throw it on that but yeah i liked all the side adventures and the other stuff even though you weren't seeing and half of the things like i think they made reference to too bad and leech and you've never seen them but they made reference to them and that's what i liked about this book like i said just the imagination of everything i and like you said the jealousy of of evil and not only why this is why i find it interesting what is so fascinating about tila i mean i know yes skeletor wants the power and stuff but he's willing to give this jewel to tila that's supposed to grant great power to rule with him and then hopefully conquer Grayskull and Eternia. But, I mean, you think you have Eva Lynn, who is a, an amazing sorceress in herself, and she's super powerful. Why wouldn't you want to have the woman that's right next to you be even more powerful? Is he afraid that she would want to take over? You know, you wonder what's the little hidden meanings in Skeletor's head. And, of course, that can create jealousy then. Like, you know, she's wondering, why is he going to Tila? Why wouldn't he give this to me? So that's probably because he's tired of Evelyn constantly plotting against him and undermining him all the time. So he's <laughs> like, you know what? Secretly, hell with this, man. I'll go with her. If I just tell her something, she's going to buy into it and she'll be under my spell. She can't contradict me or, or turn against me because she's wearing the jewel. And she's, as long as she's wearing it, she's convinced that, you know what? I'm on her, on her side and that man at arms and he man are the, are, are the enemy. Yeah. And it, see, it's the thing. Is it possible that he would think that that? You know, Jewel, even though it's supposed to put somebody under his power and his command, maybe was he worried it wouldn't work for Evelyn? Like, maybe she would break the spell? I just always wondered, why wouldn't you? I mean, like you said, of course, Evelyn always kind of plotting against him. But you'd think if, if this is supposed to hold you under your, his power and control. Yeah, but Evelyn would never buy such a story. 
Taylor was vulnerable in this. Like, and that's why he takes advantage of this. Like, this woman is depressed. She misses her mother. I can exploit this emotional distress she's going through and just present this, this big elaborate story to her and then hypnotize her. And she'll, I mean, it's it just, it's, it's a opportunity that Skelter just couldn't pass up. This, he what doesn't have to do a great deal to, to trick her into believing this because of the, of the depression she's going through here. Yeah. Cause she wasn't so breaking that to somebody who's, Huh? Yeah, because she was, like I said, she wasn't breaking the spell. She was really under that spell to believe everything Skeletor was saying. That Oh, and that's the other thing. Skeletor, you know, convinced her that he is Tila's father. So Skeletor is Tila's father. That was the other thing that was convinced. So he, she's convinced that Man-at-Arms stole her from his her mother. And, well, Skeletor was <laughs> her father. And it took the power of good, basically, because He-Man, you know, knocked like, a weapon out of Tila's hand and basically tried to talk to her and convince her and it took her strength and goodwill to break the spell and realize it and gave the amulet took it off gave it to he-man and he-man destroyed it so i mean it was a great story from beginning to end but you know one other interesting thing that i thought was a strange part of how it started right when it started you know tila's wondering who her mother is and man at arms is basically saying you know it's a secret that i was always supposed to keep that when the time's right you'll know and also your father was a great warrior of eternity he said something i was like out of nowhere, she didn't ask anything about her real father, but Man-at-Arms gave out this line about how great oh, of a warrior her father was. I found that really strange because she didn't ask nothing about her dad. She asked about her mother, and he gave a quick line, he gave about mother, and then about the, did you realize at the beginning, did that strike you strange? At least for me, because was it to lead up to the whole, I am your father thing that he, you know, convinces her of Skeletor? Oh, come along and saying that I'm your father, and it's like, look, let me clear your head here, all right? that your father was a very good man and a great warrior and your mother will be revealed to you when the time is right, you know, because obviously, you know, I, I'm sure from a character standpoint, it's probably something that Tila has dwelled on most of her life. You know, she obviously sees man at arms as her pretty much her real father. Cause he raised her as, you know, as from an infant, but to know that he's not her real father. Yeah. It's probably going to weigh heavily on her that, you know, because he doesn't say your parents are dead. No, right. I just found that, like I said, it was weird. I mean, her, her father could be, because he was a great warrior. We don't you know. And I'd like to think that probably, you know, that her real father probably did die in battle. And I don't need, he's just a good guy. Not He's not a super-powered heroic warrior. He's just a warrior that probably, you know, had a relationship with the sorceress at some point. Maybe even before the sorceress became the sorceress. We don't know. You could think of a bunch of different things, but I don't want to. Or any kind of BS that it's Fisto or some other nonsense. Just no, with the MYP. Just a guy who was great in battle, probably fell in battle, but had you know had, had a relationship with the sorceress and they had a child. It just brought up, like I said, it brought up a good, in a way, topic. Like I said, it wasn't, it just was strange. It was on the first page when she's talking, and I believe that's when he mentions about her father. It's a quick line, and it's never brought up again. He never talks about her father again. I found it just weird and also interesting because in the cartoon, you know, Filmation, you know, she's always wondered about her mother. But, of course, having Man-at-Arms as her father, she knows it's adopted father. But you ever find it weird that she never really discusses and they never touched on that part? I mean, yes, I know she has a father. Well, no, I, 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 I disagree on that one because I feel like she probably is quite satisfied that even though Man-at-Arms is not her biological father that he was a father to her. Oh, no. She didn't know anything else other than him. So I feel like 
to to feel like that this man has obviously raised her very well. You know, she's become a great warrior, captain of the guard. You know, and she's she's you know destined for for even greater things. That he's raised her the right way. Not a whole lot for her to question, but to not have oh, that, no. that, like that said, which is probably why she is a bit hot headed, is that yeah. she's raised strictly by a very stern and aggressive but very smart man. Right. Oh, and I'm to not, not have a figure in her life, which is probably probably one of the reasons why she is such an aggressive woman. She hasn't. She just. She's not to say that all women are like that, but I'm saying the the character of the sort is a very motherly character because she is to Adam all the time. So you know that if she had the sources in her life, she probably would be a lot more level-headed, calm, collected, and very more more likely to think uh, and not and not react so harshly and, and in the heat of the moment and ready to pull the trigger without thinking. All right. Like I said, it's not that. I, oh, I'm not questioning. Like I said, her love because obviously she's had a father figure her whole life. But you would think, you know, yes, you've never known your mother, but that does lead to wondering. You'd think at some point you'd think. Well, I wonder who my real father is also. I mean, you, you don't wonder that. You'd wonder, obviously, who is your father. But, you know, like oh, I'm, said, I'm sure he comments decided to cover that he was just a big drunk in a tavern and knocked the sorceress up one night. No, doesn't it make you wonder, though? It's like, who, who was the father? It, that was never really touching. It's like, oh, my God. I'm just like, no, I, I've never really been concerned with I that. Did. I did. I did because I always wondered. Well, okay, well, like you said. We found out, obviously, the sorceress is Tila's mother. And, yes, you know, she has her up in the nest or everything, keeping her protected. But I always did wonder, it's like, well, who is the dad? I mean, and how was she born? I mean, I did, as a kid, always wonder, who is her dad then? But they never went out, you know, and, you know, explored it. It seemed like M M1. Well, maybe the stork just brought her. Maybe sorcerers may actually, you know, in the land of eternity, they, they hired a stork. To bring the baby. Oh my god, you're starting to sound like me now with my stuff with filmation. Oh, a stork brother. Oh, she was an egg. She laid an egg, and there you go. Magically, you know, the, the, the master of delivering babies. Exactly. You Once know, she gets he's the like, power. He's like the drunk stork, like in the Looney Tune cartoon. He's like, hey, I'm sorry, it's a mix up with the baby. You know, he's like drunk and hiccuping and delivering babies to the wrong houses. I love that cartoon. What a dork. Oh, my God. Or, or just like you said, once she becomes a sorcerer, she has this, this magical power. So then eventually maybe she just once every 10 years or something with this power just lays an egg. And this egg is a, a human baby. Yeah, this lady because she's a falcon. So she, like, craps an egg out in the nest. <laughs> there you go. And out, out comes a redheaded baby. Oh, just a thought. But or, yes. or no, no it's, a, it's, a, it's a clone of Tila that, that, that oh, no. her put in a nest. And the sorcerer's found it. Hey, this is my baby. Here, yeah. and gives it to Man in the Arms. Maybe no wonder Skeletor's pissed off. Maybe it really is Tila's father. Is <laughs> oh God, we won't touch it. But uh, so Tila's yeah. here. That was a it was a good book. But uh, all right, man. Well, it's a fun episode, and I know that tonight everybody is set for WrestleMania. So I know Dirt's ready. He's gonna see Brock Lesnar get the title from Goldberg. So he'll be all set. So that's why we did an early episode today because uh, everybody's gonna be set for WrestleMania. And uh, there you go. So, Tyler, what did you want to do to close this up with? What's your thoughts? What you got? Um, yep, and as you see right there, the uh, the big, you know, this that match would mean something. Undertaker's streak was actually still valid. Oh, God. Oh, God. I can't stand Roman Reigns. Can't stand that character. I Good think God. most people can either. Yeah, well, let's hope the Undertaker but, um, wins that, but go ahead. Oh, no. Uh, well, I was going to say, um, my uh, epic moment for me this week would be um, – he-Man's transformation in uh, Secret of the Sword, the first episode into Etheria, when 
the rebels are getting stopped by the horde and they're all getting, you know, knocked out and, and pounced on. And it looks like it's not looking good. And then it, you got Catra and Scorpio attacking Bo, and then it cuts to Adam transforming into He-Man. And then when him and Battlecat greet the Horde for the first time. That was cool. That yeah. makes that transformation sequence all, all the more epic because of the meaning behind it. Like, He-Man's going to meet the Horde for the first time, man. And that was, especially like how Scorpio, when she's like, with their claws, yeah, like, man, oh, she was like freaking out. And you're like, oh, this <laughs> is so great. The perfect time for He-Man to come into action here. That so. was the perfect, yeah, I like that. And um, I, I got another update from Karsten. Um, actually, I got it this morning. Um, another teaser from the mini comic that we worked on together here um, is just a image of something that happens in it. I'm not going to you know, obviously. You'll have to find out what the purpose of this is, but it's the Formation Attack Track. Okay. And I, like uh, I, I just wanted to use this one because I, I as you'll see in the story, it it, it serves its purpose. And frankly, I wanted to use the filmation style as opposed to the toy version. I mean, I, I just, if they could get away with using toy uh, filmation versions of the Sorceress and other characters and Orko, why can't I use the filmation attack track in this story here? What so, a sellout. You ain't a real fan. You're all about filmation. You can't appreciate the video. I get the hell out of here. You know, it's like constantly finding flaws of everything. Uh, here we go. All right, go ahead. So, yeah, go customize the moon or something <laughs> like that. Right. So th this is the upcoming teaser for the the mini comic, and uh, like I said, when we we won't reveal any of the meaty stuff, and just small images to let people know, hey, this little this this, and it all it'll all fold out. So it's um, you know, hopefully it'll it'll all be complete and ready soon for purchase, and we can get out to everybody and and see if everybody likes a brand new take on that ridiculous story. Sounds good. All right. Well, well, now for me, I'll just let you know where to go. Fansofpower.com, go to popculturenetwork.com, go to hemanworld.com, and on Facebook, go to Masters of the Universe, He-Man and She-Ra Ultimate Fan Group. All great places, all great people. So until next time, have a powerful day. But you don't show, and it's open season on him and you. Um, uh, oh my God, Joe, don't go blank. Wait a second, I know that. I know that I've seen this a million times. Karate Kid. Karate Kid. He, there you go. I was like, how there could I not go. know that scene? All right, there, I got it.